What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Storyman Podcast, episode 114, The Force Awakens, with good friend Eliyahu Fink. How are you today? Wait, I, I, I haven't done this. Oh, man. I forgot to introduce you all. And yourself. Oh. oh. <laughs> dust off the podcasting muscles. When's the last time I did this? I don't know. Okay. Take two. <laughs> You guys are the professionals here. Yeah, that's right. Allegedly. Cheers. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Storyman Podcast, episode 114. I am Clay Morgan. I'm Jan Forresteros. We are the Storyman, and we also podcast and write over at NorvalRogers.com. Today, we're talking about the movie sensation Star Wars, The Force Awakens. We are joined by our friend, El- Eliyahu Fink. How are you doing today, Eli? I'm doing well, thank you. It's good to hear hear your voice again, Clay. I've been uh, speaking, speaking to JR a bit recently, and I haven't uh, had a chance to catch up with you, so it's good to have... Um, an opportunity to get back in touch with you. At this point, you guys might have more chemistry than JR and I. I mean... We have chemistry for days. <laughs> that seems like a really high bar to match. <laughs> we should also say that the reason Matt is not joining us today is because he is a good father. And his uh, one of his daughter's birthday is coming up uh, just a couple days after Christmas. And she wanted to go see The Force Awakens for her birthday. So Matt is waiting to see the movie... Uh, per his daughter's request. That is uh, a good Sky Lantern yeah. father sacrifice. Yeah. And yeah. He's, that's his story and he's sticking to it. <laughs> I know. Matt was probably the most excited of all of us to see this movie. So, If only there was a connection between fatherhood and Star Wars. Well, we don't want to spoil anything yet, Clay. <laughs> well, I'm talking. Maybe I'm talking about the original Star Wars Yeah, films. that's true. That's a good point. Uh, so let's let's start out. Let's start out. Let's just dive right into Star Wars. We're going to do a, a brief non-spoilery segment in case you're someone who hasn't seen this movie yet and are somehow still on the fence about whether you want to. There may be two of you in the world. Hopefully, you found this podcast. We can convince you. So um, I actually know two people who are actually I know three people who are just disgusted with the existence of the new. Star so they're not on the fence. No. Oh, on the fence. Yeah. Okay. They're not like. Should I see this? I'm going to listen to this podcast. Okay, okay. Is it because they're disgusted by the fact that there's, like, somebody adjusting and adding to the old trilogy, or is it because they just hate Star Wars? Yeah. Like, they, just, they love it or they hate it? They're just not interested. If it's if They don't they don't care about the Star Wars at all. Is it because they're really big Star Trek fans? No. No, they just don't care about, really, any cool movies at all. So they haven't seen the movie, you're saying? And, and also, I sent some, uh, some overload on uh, social media. They're just tired of... They were never going to see it anyway, and everybody they know has been talking about it ad nauseum, so they've just had enough. <laughs> so they won't be tuning in. Okay, so Eli, what briefly, uh, what is your history with the Star Wars franchise? Great question. Interesting thing. Interesting thing. So, um, you know, my background, Orthodox Judaism, not a real big movie-going uh, audience generally, but uh, especially my family, we were not into movies. We watch TV more than movies. But I have a very vivid memory of being about six years old and watching uh, one of the Star Wars, I think it was, which which is, I don't know, I think it was the one that opens with Jabba the Hutt 
and oh, that's Jedi, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's what the what I saw with my father when I was six years old, six uh, in Buffalo, New York. Um, but I did see the first three, you know, the original trilogy, over the course of my childhood, and then uh, as a young adult, I did see. I think I saw Star Wars one and two. But they were not, they made no impact on me. I wasn't interested in them. I did not like them. I did not love them. Hmm. And then I saw the, as, a, as an adult, I saw four, five, and six again. And I was like, these are amazing. And I waited for a couple of years when my son was 11 years old last year. We watched four, five, and six in preparation for seven. And uh, he has only seen four, five, and six. We're going to keep him that way as long as possible. And <laughs> I have yet to, uh, to see three of the first, of the second trilogy, which I'm looking forward to with him. And that I kind of feel like a special thing. Like my father watched it with me and it was one of the few movies we've ever seen together. I watched with my son and I even wrote on Facebook the night after we saw five. I'm like, you only get to see your kid's face once when they find out <laughs> that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Yeah. When you see that look on your kid's face when he's 11 years old. That's, that's like one of those moments you never want to give up. So, so we saw seven last week, uh, Thursday night, the first night it was possible to open. I brought a couple of friends and it was an amazing uh, father-son experience, but also as, uh, as you can imagine, a great movie experience. So uh, is this if, if this is too long conversation, we can not have it. But like, why was Star Wars one of the one of the movies that your dad watched? Like, was there something about it for him? You know what? We're going to go to uh, we're going to wait till the third segment for that. OK, great. OK, excellent. Clay, what about you? Well, like Eli, I also wasn't very impressed as a kid in whatever exposure I had to it. Um, unlike Eli, when I rewatched it as an adult, which apparently consisted of last week yeah <laughs> um i was still um well let's say this with episode four not impressed really at all and impressed I, I i share no youthful nostalgia i appreciate cultural impact and technical excellence and innovation and i appreciate those elements that allow better movies to be made star wars episode four a new hope is not a better movie it's not even really a great story it drags in parts and it's not really well acted. It should just be the parts that Han Solo is in. So I'm not exactly coming from a fanatical love of the original Star Wars. However, um, when I rewatched in the last 10 days, episode five and six, I was, I was stunned by two things. One, how much of those two films, in fact, I did not have any recall of at all. And how edgy Empire Strikes Back was with a lot of, like cool kind of you know gnarly fight things and arms and heads coming off in the first 10 minutes and it was just a fantastic film empire strikes back jedi i also was surprised at how much of it i had not seen because i thought i'd seen way more of it um and and then honestly i was like it was it was very good but and you were you were genuinely surprised because so you had not seen enough of jedi that the ending particularly with darth vader's arc caught you off guard yeah so unfortunately i can't remember i guess i do kind of remember the moment i found out that you know luke's father was it didn't happen meaningfully i was just probably in a room with a couple buddies and i remember like his you know he gets his hand chopped off and the reveal happens and i was like oh wow you know but i don't have any like powerful connection to that unlike say star trek where i have powerful connections all over the place to those films um but with with jedi yeah i was i was like genuinely surprised last week and i was like Wait, what? Darth Vader <laughs> turns over? Oh, who knew? So, like, good for me, right? I got to enjoy the uh, surprise ending there, the Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so, uh, so that happened. So I, I, I was more of a Star Trek guy, but I loved Star Wars. I saw them over and over. Uh, in 
middle school probably or, or early high school, my Christmas gift was the entire uh, trilogy on VHS and this really nice box set uh, that unfortunately when I got rid of all my VHSs, I got rid of because I thought surely I'll be able to get these on DVD, not <laughs> knowing that they weren't going to issue the original untouched uh, trilogy on DVD. The, the canon- can- canonical versions. That's right. Um, so... Uh, so I uh, I loved Star Wars always, but I loved them to the degree that I felt a little bit like a geek poser because I felt like I didn't love them enough. Like I wasn't insane about them as, as, as many of the rest of my geeky friends were. I just, I loved them a lot and I would defend them as great movies. I was disappointed with the prequels, et cetera, et cetera. But, but I wasn't like getting dressed up for opening night this year or anything like that. I just, I was, I was just like genuinely excited mm-hmm. and not to the level that most of the rest of my like geek friends mm-hmm. you know, are losing their minds about it. When the, when Disney made the original announcement that they had bought Lucasfilms or were making new star Wars movies, I was excited, but I didn't like weep and it wasn't the greatest day of my life. Yeah, so I was saying your, your hardcore friends were happy about it or they were like, they're the, Disney's going to kill it. Uh, their initial reaction, so they went through phases. Their initial reaction was joy that there was going to be more Star Wars. Like, just their gut, like, you know. And then they were like, wait, oh, no. this is going to be bad. Like, this is going to be bad. But Look then J.J. Abrams, like, Even before J.J. Abrams, it was it was the fact that the new Muppets movie that had been made after Disney bought the Muppets, was fan, the one with Jason Siegel, was just, like, unbelievably good in a return to form. It was the fact that Disney owned the Marvel franchise and had done such an expert job of shepherding those movies. So they were like, you know what? It seems like Disney might know what they're doing. And then once they announced Abrams, once the teaser, tra- I mean, it was, it was this, like, continual building of cautious optimism. So... Uh, yeah, so I, I went into the new movie expecting great things. I I, mm-hmm. I was expecting a movie that would be a great beginning to a new trilogy, a movie that would stand on its own as a as a great film. Pro- I wasn't expecting to be blown away. I wasn't expecting it to be my top movie of the year, especially once I saw Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I expected it to be good, and that's what I got. I got a great movie that is gonna. It, it has a high rewatchability factor. I've seen it twice, and the second time through, I enjoyed it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I can't wait to see where this franchise goes. So yeah, what about you guys? Like just kind of basic reaction to the movie. No spoilers. Good, uh, Eli. All right, so I um I'm as you guys know I'm like an obsessive like no spoilers dude. Like I don't watch trailers even. So I did not even see the trailer for this movie. I'm super impressed by that. And I, I also highly appreciate that. JR is a spoiler movie. Hey, I didn't read any spoilers for this movie. I feel like I should get some kudos for that. Okay, for once, finally. Good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so but I did watch I, all the trailers. <laughs> so my thing is basically I have no expectations about whether it's going to be good or not based on anything other than... So just... did you know... You knew J.J. Abrams was directing it. That's all I knew. You didn't even know that Han and Leia were going to be in it? No, the one thing I did read about the movie was that there was like 30 minute, 30 year jump in time and they made it look like 30 years had jumped in time. And that was kind of unique about this movie because a lot of times movies try to pretend like Harry Potter is like 16, but he's like 36 <laughs> years old in real life. Right. So, <laughs> so that, that was like a unique thing, but that's not a spoiler. It doesn't even no. matter. It was okay. like a okay. meta thing, right? No, yeah. that's all I knew. Um, so I had no expectations really, except for the fact that I really wanted it to be awesome. Like I have these things, like when I want something to be good, I get really invested in it. I wanted it to be awesome. Um, so I was hoping it was going to be awesome. I had seen just like, um, on Sunday night, I guess it was the week of like the media getting to see the film finally. And them all saying like, it's awesome. 
So I had the expectation based upon the screenings that everybody had seen that it was awesome. And we went, I was excited for it and it did not disappoint me at all. I loved it. I want to see it again. Every second that I'm alive, I want to see Star Wars again and again. <laughs> I, want to, I want to just like live in the theater and watch it at all the theaters over and over again. It's crazy because yeah. LA's got like a billion theaters and there's like one place that's not showing Star Wars at every single theater, at every single screen, at every single moment. <clears throat> wow. So I wanted to go, I want to go a million times. I'll go again hopefully this week, but I want to go a million times. I want to see it on IMAX. I love it. I love everything about it. If you haven't seen it and you want want to know like whether a non-hardcore Star Wars fan thinks it's awesome, it's awesome. Go see it. Yeah, I <clears throat> was very excited about it. People didn't think that I was, I actually know Star Wars fans that didn't allow me to be excited. Like you, you didn't earn this. You don't deserve this. You're not allowed to appreciate the eagerness of this because you don't understand. And I was like, whatever, nerds. Um, then he shoved him into a locker and went on down. <laughs> so I expected great things from from Abrams. I mean, look, Star Trek matters a whole lot more to me. Original Star Trek matters a whole lot more to me. And what he did with that worked gobs for me i just have adored the reboot and and watching how he flipped the entire timeline of the star trek universe so i was really excited to see him handle this property not surprised that he did a great job and honestly it just for all of the huge properties that studios seem to have a heavy hand in and then it gets too convoluted i think they did a really great job uh of of synthesizing all of these storylines and characters and the way Maybe the most impressive thing to me in the first 30 minutes of the film, no spoilers, right, was just how well they introduced new characters and how quickly I liked them and cared about them and understood them. And it was so clear and well done. And um, I just, I loved it. And it was just beautiful to look at. Whereas in episode four, I just couldn't wait for the fight scenes to end because they just dragged on and like a bunch of characters. I had no clue who they were, just kept blowing up, circling the Death Star and Luke's like, oh, shucks, another fella died. And like, <laughs> Pandalea's reaction, none. Like, this was actually like, okay, now we know. Like, there's Greg Gunberg from Heroes, right? And there's that cool alien fighter dude. It was just all throughout. They did Wait, you cared about job. Parkman? I just cared. I just at least recognized. He's the worst character happening. in Heroes. <laughs> well, yeah. But I recognized what they were doing. They did a better job of storytelling for sure. And um, I just had a lot of fun. I don't know. It was funny when the when the opening uh, scene popped up. The movie, the theater was silent, and I'm no. like, I'm like, okay, the biggest Star Wars so, fan here, but I gotta like scream a little bit and get this place going. And they didn't. So I saw the film twice. The first we saw it Thursday night, first time you could possibly see it, and it was in a packed theater, and it was rowdy. Like when Lucasfilms popped up on the screen, eruptions and cheers. When um, the opening crawl started, like five seconds later. Equally big, if not bigger, cheers. When Han shows up for the first time, huge cheer. I mean, the and then I saw it again the next night with Clay in the same theater he's talking about, and it was like completely dead. Oh wow, what a what a crazy uh shift, you know, because it was still opening, it was it was technically opening night, you know, it's right. Friday night. Um and it was, it was a bunch of really bad moviegoers. I went, I went to, to, to the opening thing, like, you know, it's 720 screening, which was like one of the first ones you could see in uh, in a regular theater and with a regular ticket. And uh, the place was like, all, everybody was like, just like chomping at the bit. Right? Like as soon as they saw anything they liked, they were cheering, they were laughing, they were crying, they were 
it was like an interactive movie almost. And I think that really changes the experience. I love theater movie going for a lot of reasons. But when you go with the full theater and everybody's enjoying it together, it's yeah. really powerful. And it was, uh, I guess, one of these medium-sized theaters, maybe 100 seats or so. And we all were like in it together. Um, and also, you know, as not as a non-Star Wars hardcore fan, I appreciated like their cues when they laughed or like were amazed about stuff. I kind of knew that there must have been something there. Yeah. And they're, like, look, go over to the kid and say, like, do you know what that's about? Or or like just think about it, and maybe figure it out. But I was happy to like have people help me with those cues. It made it more of more enjoyable. Yeah. Eli, the way you talk so passionately about how you rediscovered them as an adult and have enjoyed so much showing them to your son, I, I think you're on a, a higher Star Wars fandom level than you uh, express as going into episode seven. Well, here's the thing. Most Star Wars fans are obsessive. Like they know all the stuff. They know all the, the okay, trivia. They you. like read all the extra novels and movies and the Clone Wars TV right, series. Right, right. I honestly know nothing other than the movies I've seen which is yep. five out of six, but I actually really enjoy them. So it's like, I'm like a normal fan of like a normal movie series without being obsessive. So okay. in terms of Star Wars, I'm like a regular person, but in terms of maybe if this was how much I liked, I don't know, some other um, series like the Spider-Man series, I would be like an obsessive Spider-Man fan. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's let's dive into spoilers. I really want to get into some of the meat of this um, of this movie. Uh, so we're going to do spoilers starting right now. If you don't want to be spoiled, uh, stop listening. And uh, we're going to be talking about spoilers for the rest of the episode. So come back when you've seen it. Um, first, I want to talk about, uh, in, in honor, if you listen to the episode where Eli and I did The Good Dinosaur, where we kind of worked on this little, um, I don't know, metric. framework. Yeah. Rupert. Metric. Uh, is it good? And what's it good for? So uh, is the film good? And then later we'll talk about what is it good for, which is, again, if you're going to try to have some conversations that spin out of this film, uh, what, you know, how would you talk about it? So, um, first of all, was it good? Now, um, one thing that people don't really talk, I, I, in most of the reviews I've seen, very few people are talking about the visuals of the movie, but I thought they were stunning. The first time I saw it, I saw it in 3D IMAX. And then the second time I saw it, I saw it in 2D, uh, normal, I guess, whatever, non IMAX. And both times I thought the film was just beautiful. Like the, so many shots of the little itty bitty character on these big, huge sets, whether it was a desert or, you know, the death, the crash death star, uh, or, and then again, the, like the space battles were just incredible. Like they looked amazing. So I, I thought the whole film just was beautifully done. What, what about you guys visually? So funny thing is that I, so I was like, so tuned into the visuals, but not because of this reason you're saying, of course it was beautiful. I loved, 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 loved the visuals and what you're talking about, like the single character with like this huge mountain or this huge landscape. But the visuals that I got tuned into was how it felt like this movie was a 30 year old movie. Mm. The way the film was grained, the way that they did these cheesy old school transitions of like, you know, the <laughs> circle coming in, you know, all the stuff that was, you know, old school when you saw these giant ships going across the screen it felt like this was the uh 1977 or 1980 whatever version of a movie and that felt consistent throughout the whole movie felt like it was a 30 year old movie that was just awesome yeah yeah that's true i didn't i didn't think about that but i i did notice the transitions especially and it was kind of fun i loved everything about the visuals for for me I understood that dirty space was one of those innovations. And as a Star Trek guy, I was able to kind of carry it. Um, I think Chewbacca, like little things like looking at Chewbacca, that it seemed 
like they showed more of his body at different times. So like it was, it was even some of the practical effects uh, that kind of caught me off guard. Having seen recently how they added in some CGI aliens to the originals and then seeing how the, um, uh, there were a couple of like big monsters. The, the, there's a scene at like the, the feeding trough or whatever like that <laughs> just looked great. You know, I mean, it was gross and realistic. And so CGI has obviously come a long way. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what more I can yeah, say. Yeah, I would say the one, um, the one place that it didn't really work awesome for me was in Han and Chewie's ship with the, whatever those monsters were called. Um, yeah. Like it was pretty clear to me when they were CGI and when it was a practical tentacle. <laughs> Um, again, it, it wasn't terrible. It didn't ruin the movie by any stretch of the imagination. But I hope better worse than Transformers, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also have to say that lightsabers are all at once the coolest weapon in movie history and the least realistic and practical. Like, yeah, everybody like, should be, like, disemboweled, dismembered, and dead after every strike. <laughs> you know, you get, that it's a really ineffective weapon. Like, my kid's like, why do they use lightsabers? Why don't <laughs> they just use... Cool. Because they're awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, they're awesome. That's that's why. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really not the most... Pr- they're, I don't know. I like that you can get swiped across the face with one and be okay. Well, it just grazed him, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and he has the force sure because did. the force because the force is the answer to everything <laughs> in this movie that doesn't make sense. We will, ex- we will accept that. that it isn't because that's not how the force works. <laughs> I know. That was my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, we'll use the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> uh, spe- okay, so speaking of characters, right? Mm. Again, this was this was they worked for you've already mentioned it, Clay, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I thought especially well. Okay, Han Solo continues to be the best character in the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. but um, yet uh, Ray and uh, Finn were just fantastic. and Poe. Well, yeah, the five minutes we got to spend with Poe were great. And BB-8, uh, yeah. yeah, BB-8. Oh yeah, BB-8 was the star of the show for many. You know, and and they did a great job of him being cute without being annoying. You know, yes. they did the same thing with R two D two, but that's a hard balance to strike as evidenced by Jar Jar. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed him a lot. The Jar Jar hatred falls flat on me because... And you, Eli, right? You haven't seen... Neither of you seen the prequels? Well, I've seen them a little bit. And by oh, the yeah. way, getting back to the visuals just for a second because of the prequel, you know, I, I actually put the first scene on of, like, you know, episode one or, like, the second scene where, like, you know, Obi-Wan and whatever, they're going into this enemy place. And, like, these monsters come at them and they're like, these look like bad comic book... Bad... Uh, video game character uh, villains. These are horrible. So the fact that you we barely notice the CGI now, first of all, I think there's less of it, but also it's so good that yeah. it doesn't bother mm-hmm. us, which is huge. And that's the same thing with the characters. It's hard to kind of just like integrate something into somewhere without you feeling like they're you're trying to integrate something. And what they did by making these characters seamlessly integrated into this world, for me, the subtlety of that is actually a brilliance that is impossible to try and comprehend for us because we only notice it when it's bad and it's almost always bad so to yeah. pull off this like here's a new person and there's another person and we care about them and they the whole thing makes sense and it fits and we wonder who they really are was so beautiful and i sometimes like the things that you don't notice better than the things that you do notice uh have you guys heard the criticism uh that's hilarious and terrible at the same time that the news that this new star wars film is anti-white no mainly that was actually the only other thing i heard about the movie (laughs) so like five months ago i guess when they kind of released the first poster and it was like a 
black kid who's going to be this they, they, the, the way I heard it is he's a Jedi, but it, obviously not yet. But that's what I had heard. And people were like, that's not a, a Jedi can't be black. I was like, this can't be a real thing. <laughs> I know, right? This has to be like some like false flag liberal thing that they're making up about people that say stuff like this. But <laughs> turns out yeah, but it's real. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting that the film is able to because the first the, the original trilogy has some race and gender issues. You know, mm-hmm. there are. I, if I remember right, there are three female characters in the entire original trilogy. Two, Aunt Beru and Leia. Sounds about right. Right, and, and, and aren't there the some dancers. like uh, aliens that are female? I guess maybe the dancers at Jabba's, which are added in later. Actually, I mean those oh, weren't yeah, even yeah. like those weren't even like original trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, gender wise, it's a mess. And then race wise, again, like everyone's white except for Jar Jar, who was yeah. Like, Star Wars was never a franchise that united people across racial lines, right? And so to to tell a story where that's just not the case anymore. And it's not even common. I mean, it didn't feel like a, a girl power movie to nope. me. It didn't feel like a down with whitey, like, you know, black power kind of a movie. It just felt like you're jumping into segment three. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. We'll come back to that. But I mean, like, no, for real, like these characters, it, it didn't, it didn't matter that day that right. I keep calling her Daisy because it's the actress's <laughs> name. It didn't matter that Ray was female. Like that, that didn't help or hinder her at any point in the movie. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that Finn was black. Like it didn't help her. It was just, they're just people that happened to not look like me, a white male. And it was awesome. Like it worked. They were, they were great characters. But it definitely did play up the Ray thing more than they did with the Finn thing, which is like, how many times was it hilariously funny that she was like, I don't need your help. You don't need yeah. to hold my hand. But taking my hand. Yeah. So that <laughs> when, kind of stuff was like actually a wink, I think, towards people that were like always wondering why they can't have a female strong character. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the Jessica Jones thing, like yeah. all this stuff that is uh, on the on the unconsciousness of, of, of like all the viewers that are at least the more progressive viewers. So J.J. Abrams, I felt like was putting that in there on purpose. I felt that too. Um, which I which I could have been annoying, but it was so endearing because she's like yeah. an awesomely endearing character. <laughs> the first time when when the the guys try to take BB-8 from her and Finn sees them like struggling with her, and you're like, oh, okay, so he's gonna go over and nope, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> like she she just handled them. <laughs> really he's, like, back, he's like, oh, I don't want to mess with that girl. Yeah. Daisy is the Kira Knightley we've always wanted. Mm. I don't know what that means. It's she's like Kira Knightley is Kira Knightley, but then she's like. Kira Knightley. <laughs> Daisy's like, oh. Ms. Knightley, we're big fans. We'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> I actually feel like Daisy was very similar to Kira Knightley in the first Pirates of the Caribbean in this like uh, yeah. very powerful okay. female character that did not need the men's help. Everyone was trying to help her, but she's like, I got this. Except without the most distracting mouth in history. <laughs> Man, I feel like Katie Holmes' mouth is way more distracting, but I also don't want to get into commenting on female body parts in the podcast <laughs> where Blair we're trying Danes, to praise feminism. <laughs> well, um, in addition to the characters, and we'll continue to talk about them through this process, as far as storytelling goes, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, there were clearly, you know, well-defined elements of the hero's journey, the reluctant call, to, reluctance to the call, finding Luke's um, lightsaber and things like that. How did you guys feel about the storytelling aspect of The Force Awakens? It was a smorgasbord of tropes, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it wasn't my favorite, so please go on. In other words, I actually like when people can pull off tropes and do it well. A trope is only a trope when it's when it's lazy storytelling, when you rely on it to do the storytelling for you. But when you actually use it and make it awesome, then I'm good with it. So, you know, for example, 
if you want to just compare like Jurassic World, which is kind of a similar movie, a reboot of a franchise, almost like an homage to the old version of the story, just with more, that one I call a smorgasbord of people being eaten by dinosaurs. But the idea is that they, they used the tropes, but it was like so cheesy and so ineffective. It didn't push the story forward. It was almost like very predictable. Here, the tropes and everything that was already like obvious about the story didn't distract from the fact that it was a great movie. It, it was done perfectly well. And because of that, I, it didn't bother me. I, I didn't care that I knew what was going to happen because the story was told in such an effective way. I don't need to be surprised by the, by the plot. I just need it to be uh, done really, really well. And because it was done really well with humor and with uh, excitement and with you know minor surprises and with good visuals and with, um, with good conflict and good tension, all that stuff worked. I don't need to be surprised by the story. Yeah. So I, I, I assume most people who are listening right now have already seen either for themselves or the comparisons between online between the plot of the new of a new hope and this film. And I, I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm kind of with you, Eli. But I don't think I'm all the way there. Like it didn't it didn't ruin the movie for me by any stretch of the imagination. But you know we do have a young a young person on a desert planet who dreams of going to space who is helped in that by an older mentor who ends up dying and the film culminates with a giant planet-sized planet-destroying thing <laughs> that they have to blow up this one little thing to blow up you know and it's like uh, what well, stand around a holograph planning it out and laying it yeah out there's a little there. droid that has the secret to how to do it. i mean yeah, all, all these things right um where where i'm where i'm hopeful is that if, if you zoom out a little bit and be a little bit charitable, this movie actually sort of ends where episode three ends, which is Kylo Ren embracing the dark side fully by killing his father, which is also where, where episode six ends, except episode six ends positive, where Luke, Luke refuses to do that, and so ends up actually redeeming his father. Mm. Um, but then it also ends where episode four ends, which is they've defeated the massive weapon of this new galactic terror but have not defeated it entirely right so i mean there's there's all of that and so i'm hoping that that abrams was intentionally giving us something familiar so that the franchise can take us somewhere new okay i could buy that but you know what the most important part of the story for me was this stormtrooper that steps out you know like that's something that never never happened before and that's really revolutionary storytelling where the guy that's the, the automaton you know like we've never seen the faces of these stormtroopers before yeah and now there's this guy that at first, you knew it was going to happen like i mean i didn't know anything about the movie besides the trailer so I, forgive me for saying the obvious but like you know as soon as he gets that blood on his face yeah you knew that that's going to be you know powerful and he's going to do something with that so for me the the additions to the story or the kind of new ideas that were incorporated made it so good that all the other stuff was just like, we need to use this, all this other stuff that you're familiar with just to tell the new stuff as, as the powerful story. Well, and at the end of the day, you have, like, we also have to keep in mind that they were not making this movie in a vacuum. They were making, a, they were making like probably the hardest movie to make that's ever been made in that they had not only the rabid and irrational love that people have for the original trilogy, but also like the, the profound sense of betrayal and hurt that they have from the prequels. <laughs> Plus three and a half decades of source material synthesized. Well, except that they, 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 they there's, there was a lot of stuff out there though, but they had to take it all into account. They, they discounted it all. They actually, all of it. Yeah. 
They well, what they basically did was they said any not any non movie stuff is now considered legends. Midrash in, in air quotes. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And and we reserve the right to we reserve the right to take from it if we want. Right. But we also reserve the right to entirely ignore it. Right. But they didn't have to, but they did right. know it. Right. You even said you were like, if you've read any of this other stuff, there wasn't a lot of surprises in this movie right. on that level as well. Um yeah, so for instance, in the in the now what is considered Star Wars Legends, Han and Leia have twins, a boy and a girl, Jason and Jaina, and Jason turns to the dark side mm-hmm. uh, and, and becomes a Sith. Uh, so, you know, there's things like that. Anyway, um, there, there's a fantasy writer named Robert Jordan. His fantasy series is called The Wheel of Time. And literally the first book of The Wheel of Time, which is a 14-book series, is Lord of the Rings. Like, it's, it's, it's Lord of the Rings. It's a small yeah. town and three people that have to leave and all this stuff. And, and Jordan said, I specifically wanted to tell a story that everyone already knew so that they could get they could get to know my world so that I could take them somewhere they'd never been before. Interesting. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's probably when, when we get to the end of seven, eight, nine, and we look back at this movie, we're going to say, yeah, in order for in order for Abrams and Disney to do what they wanted to do with Star Wars, they had to basically retell Episode Four, so everyone could say, "Oh, it looks like all the old movies." Oh, they know what they're doing with these characters. Oh, it's recap like they've got the fun and all of that, and then that is going to let them take it like in mm. amazing new places that hope hopefully we've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, in the age of really intense copyright laws, you know a great art of Western of all civilization is often built on the backs of previous art. And that's how kind of humanity operated for hundreds of years. Now you're not allowed to do anything. Unless so, you buy the entire franchise. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it really is, you know, as a creative, it's frustrating because while I enjoy original work, I also enjoy seeing the brilliance of adaptation that has really like fueled so much of our cultural heritage. Um, that said, yeah, I don't think there were a whole lot of surprises in the storytelling for me. If you define it as as craft, you could certainly be critical, but I kind of like what Eli said about the tropes, and I would put it, I heard some form of this from Douglas Copeland once, but basically the idea of uh, good storytelling is if you're telling a story that people want to read. Exactly. And in this case, um, I I couldn't wait for the next moment, you know, the entire film, and I was satisfied well, at the end. I, it, it and, was, if, and if episode eight was out today, would you be in line? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So for sure. So they are they are doing great storytelling in as much as I can't get enough. And I would and wait online for story, episode seven again. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, that also tells you it's a good story. And that, yeah. that also goes back to the point that we know what's going to happen, but it's still worth watching. You know, it's like it's familiar. It's 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 well it's well worn territory, and we we want to see it anyway. And I want to disagree with you, Jr. A little bit because Please. I don't actually think that this was a conscious effort to like build credibility so they could do new things. I think this was a conscious effort to build a story that was using the best of the original and adding in new elements that fit more to a modern society of 2015 and 2016 ideas and ideals. And besides all that, be interesting. So in other <laughs> words, I don't think that they were trying to like say, trust us because of this and we'll do nothing, something better on. I think that this was actually the best story you could tell in episode seven with what the elements are. Okay. Um, let me ask this, and, and just just actually a word on this, really. You guys have both talked about rewatchability. Um, I, I don't feel that episode four is rewatchable. Um, for me, I mean, sure it is. Like, it's there. But, like, out of all the great movies from even that era that I want to watch over and over and over again, 
I just don't have that vibe with the original. This one, I definitely am excited to see it again on the big screen. Uh, it's just so fun, right? It's just pure fun storytelling for me. Pure joy. Yeah, I was like, I enjoyed every second of that movie. I did not want it to end. I wanted to just sit there forever and like envelop in its warmth. I think if you compare episode four of Star Star Wars to like, I was thinking again, like the Star Trek films. There are quite a few Star Trek films I would rather not watch before episode four. Well, I'll never watch Star Trek Motion Picture again. Yeah, I mean, I suffered through that once. That's enough for a <laughs> Or three. I mean, the odd uh, okay. ones, right? Whoa, Everyone says whoa, this. Whoa. Three is way, way better than five. I agree with that. Yeah. that is a, would, five is awful, but I, I enjoy three. I have a lot of fun with it. Would you watch that over episode four of Star, Star Wars? Would I watch Star Trek three over, Star, yeah. over New Hope? Yeah. Oh, totally. Huh, not me. I have a confession to make. You've never seen any Star Trek movies. <laughs> I've only seen the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. I can love them. Okay. Okay, so you really should see the even-numbered Star Trek movies. And because you of that, you'll have to watch Star Trek 3, no spoilers. Yeah, 2, 3, 4, 6. Yeah, all the even-numbered ones and 3. We, we, will, we will come out to the beach and spend a weekend with you to, to guide you through this. <laughs> this will be like the Matt Parkman spirit walk. That's right. That's a, Oh, gosh. Hey, one quick question. Max von Sydow, yeah, Sydow, the legendary actor, yeah. appears in the beginning of this film as kind of like an Obi Wan looking guy uh-huh. who comes out. He tells Poe to run. He faces down um, the bad. I don't even know the names yet. The bad uh, dude, Kylo um, Ren, yeah, whatever. Kylo Ren. Uh, why? Why? Who is he? And why is he just an old guy who is there? There's a lot of speculation that he's going to be a major character in what the cartoon Star Wars Rebels that is now considered canon, oh, okay. or possibly. So you know they're doing a Star Wars movie every year, but not a saga movie every year. Wait, is is Episode Eight coming out next December? No, Episode Eight is in like twenty May of twenty seven seventeen. I looked it up the second we left the movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there is a Rogue One movie coming out next year and i think also a han solo prequel Ooh! oh i hope they get the kid from age of adeline so well let him know it was so i think good. they've already cast him perhaps he's the best young harrison ford in history of young harrison fords um, i don't know how big that demo, demo so, is but so so all of that to say he might be a character who's introduced in one of these other prequel films okay. that's set okay. you know in the past but he's yeah. a huge actor yeah and, and I'm like what's he doing in this movie yeah, and they kill him. Well, there were a lot so, of cameos. A lot of cameos. Daniel Day Lewis was actually, uh, sorry, Daniel Craig was a, was a cameo. He was like the funny <laughs> stormtrooper. That was a funny, which was amazing. Too. Yeah, but it was a uh, great scene. So before we talk about what this film is good for, I would love to hear like your favorite moment, and maybe like I, I also just want to talk about Han Solo. So like, what was like your favorite moment? If you can even pick one, or you know, a couple of your like favorite moments in the film. Gosh, I didn't even think about it. I always think about this question. For so many, right? Okay, so I'll go while yeah, you guys I, think. I need to think. Uh, a couple of mine. One was when uh, Harrison Ford, uh, when Han is negotiating with the smugglers, and it's the two guys from The Raid and The Raid 2. Uh, the, I love those two movies, and to see those two actors in it was amazing. Were they like on each side of them? The, no, they were the two guys. I mean, they were oh, the okay. ones that were not speaking in English. Okay. Um, they're 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 um, Indonesian, mm-hmm. but I, I I mean I I'm assuming they were just speaking Indonesian and they treated it like a space language. <laughs> but I don't know. It sounded. It didn't sound like any language I'd ever heard. Maybe it was. Um, yeah, that was a cool. Scene. But anyway, like. Apparently, that was another legitimately just a cameo. Like Abrams loves those two films and wanted to work with those guys, and so it's just like, hey, you want to come be in Star Wars? And they were like, sure. 
Uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, so everyone, including myself, was disappointed there wasn't some kind of amazing fight scene with them, um, and maybe we'll get a deleted scene, or you know, it didn't show that they died. So maybe we'll maybe they'll come back somehow okay. in some awesome way. But I loved like when they appeared. I was like, <gasps> no way! Like, ah, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so but I love that. Like, but that's a that's a fake favorite scene because that's not a favorite scene in the movie. It's like favorite because of personal interest. Uh, truly, right? truly. But it was just as when I'm sitting in the theater, like the amount of joy that erupted out of my heart <laughs> yeah. was just was was pure and beautiful. Uh, and so that was awesome. And I mean, I just I loved Han Solo, and I loved the way they they perfectly recaptured his like grumpy, you know, um, everything he said. Yeah, everything he said was just like pitch perfect in writing and in delivery um and the scene we already talked about that's not how the force works or uh um all the stuff that you know is that even possible i never asked that question until after <laughs> i do it and like oh when leia's like can you do that how are you gonna do that huh he's like you never like it when i tell you <laughs> no, i loved him with the with the gun he's like this is pretty cool yeah. <laughs> yeah so all that all that was great now that said like my least favorite thing in the entire movie was the scene between him and leia where they're just like explaining why their relationship didn't work to it felt like a conversation that two people who had been through that would never really have. It's like they already knew those things, and they're just saying all of these things for our benefit. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get that vibe during that conversation. I, I, I guess it was a little clunkier than it might have been in real life. But I think they would have crossed those bridges when they reconnected. But um, fair enough. Um, I can only say this. I I haven't seen it twice. I I don't have a favorite one scene, but I can say very clearly my favorite thing about the movie is how funny it was and how fun it was and as i rewatched episode four a couple weeks ago i was like this just isn't fun where is i just didn't feel like the princess bride goonies indiana jones i had so much fun when i watched and rewatched star trek the motion picture oh yeah no no no. but i was watching this and i'm like (laughs) yay fun so fun little things like uh when he was trying to defect from the stormtroopers and he was like I can help you escape. He's like, you need a pilot. He's like, I need a pilot. <laughs> From that moment on, like they just set the tone. Right. And, all, of uh, Finn's, all of Finn's lines like that were awesome. You know, like yep. I, my, my favorite one of them was when uh, Han is like raising his eyebrows to show him something behind him. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you doing that? What is that? Why are you eyebrows? <laughs> and I was like, just look behind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Least favorite is uh, it was something that was inevitable. I, it wasn't, it wasn't surprising to me within the story that it happened, but it was just really hard and I'm still processing Han Solo dying, and it makes me sad still to say it. So it's least favorite because it was good story. Was there anything in the film that didn't work for you? Um, well, we got to get Eli's favorite, least favorite. You keep giving me questions. No, I, I guess that was meant by least favorite. Like that's kind of what it like, didn't work. Yeah, when I say least favorite, it's more like a thing that you like actively didn't enjoy or something that didn't work for you. Hmm. Mm. You know what? I, I don't have anything glaring off the top okay. of my head. Well, that's that's something. Right? Okay. Okay. So we haven't talked about this at all, but I'm going to say that, first of all, I don't have the same like a de- endearing like thing with like Han Solo. I don't love him that much. Not that I don't like him, but I don't like love him. So I wasn't as excited to see him and Chewbacca in general, but like the whole thing with him and like the, the fandom of, of Han is not something that I connect to so well. Um, so his death was like, okay. I mean, it wasn't like the worst thing ever. I was kind of freaked out when it happened. But I don't have like this lingering uh, uh, morning uh, going on. Um, but <clears throat> I'll tell you who I did feel connected to in the most, and I connect, not connected to, the, but the, the character that I felt was the most interesting, powerful, 
and stole every scene was Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And because of that, my favorite scene in the movie is Kylo Ren, like in his shrine, praying to his grandfather's mask. And, you know, as a religious person in general, but as, as a human being, I found that to be an extremely powerful scene where he's fighting the light and asking for his grandfather's help. Mm. And this is obviously a very conflicted person. Like it's more conflicted. Darth Vader doesn't seem conflicted at all. Kylo Ren seems super conflicted every time he's not just in charge of something. Yep. And he did, Adam Driver was brilliant. I think that he was one of the greatest uh, villains portrayed in any fantasy movie like this. Like he was so good um, at, at being Kylo Ren. I love the Kylo Ren story. I love everything that Kylo Ren was in the movie. Um, so for me, this, any scene that has him in it is going to be awesome, but the Kylo Ren scene with, with the mask was just unbelievable. And I was not, I was not aware of that because I had not seen the trailer. So it was all surprise. Um, Um, let me, let me jump on that real quick. I, I, the thing I loved about Kylo Ren is his like pathetic affectation of the mask. It was amazing. It was hard to wear it. Right. And then Kylo Ren just wants to wear it because he's trying. And it was it was such a it was such a a visual character thing that told when you figured out when you found when he took it off, it it instantly told you so much about him. It made me feel you know? bad for him. I'm like, yeah, Aw. yeah, Aw. like you're pathetic, like you're a pathetic oh, yeah. wannabe. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Right. Yeah, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. His voice is amazing. I kept getting a Shrek three vibe. That he was the uh, evil prince, just kind of like <laughs> he was like a real like intense version of that guy who plays like a real whiny kind of prince. But when he took the mask off, and I was like, "Wow, his real voice isn't too far off." Yeah. Of, well, he's compelling. I have to say something that I didn't even think about until you guys start talking about this. But his scenes with Poe at the beginning of the film are awesome. Like when when he has, first has Poe on the planet, and Poe's like finally like. So do I talk first? Do you talk first? Like who? who talk first? <laughs> right, and that was the fir- that was the first hint that everything's going to be awesome in this movie. And that yeah. like, like what you said was like Clea nailed it. Like within all these jokes and everything, it was a joy to watch because every scene I shouldn't say every scene. So many scenes had these like joyful, lighthearted, humorous, just jokes that could have been. Well, like- even Kylo Ren's fury, they got great humor out of that twice. Yeah, I mean, exactly. the guy who was terrified to report what happened, but then especially when he freaks out and the two stormtroopers come up the hallway and just turn around <laughs> and go back. That was yeah. so Which, good. You know, there's so, in, in Star Wars fandom, there's so many jokes about the stormtroopers, like that mm-hmm. they can't hit anything with their blasters, that they're basically just like completely like cannon fodder and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these joking conversations about why would you ever want to work on a Death Star? Like, obviously, like, all, like you're just volunteering to. To be killed. They were volunteering, and, according to. Well, no, 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 I know, but then, yeah. like, to, to have that scene where they just they they turn the corner and something bad is happening, and they're like, "Yep," like it was such a great. Yeah. No, see, they have brains, and it's hilarious, and it was just like a lovely little moment that was amazing. Yeah, and so I'll tell you my worst scene. Uh, yeah, yeah. That I liked the least was actually surprisingly enough the Ray start uh, uh, the Ray um, lightsaber flashback. Okay. I, first of all, it freaked me out. I hate getting freaked out of movies. I don't like movies that freak me out. So the whole thing freaked me out. Like, I don't like that. Like, it's like the, uh, you know, it felt exactly like Scarecrow scene in a Batman movie. Uh-huh. Um, so I did not like that at all. And also, I didn't get it. Like, it just made me ask too many questions without getting any answers. Um, I didn't like her reaction to it. I just it did not feel like as good as the rest of the movie. 
Did it not feel as true? Like, because she was freaked out by it. It seems like yeah. you and her had the same reaction. Right. No, what I meant, well, my reaction, if I was her, would have been different. I would have been like, obviously, it's a prophecy or something trying to tell me something. And she's just like, I'm going to run. And I don't think she seemed like a runner before that. No, but I, she felt like someone, and I thought, I think Maz, again, like straight out said it. She, she wasn't a runner, but she was a stayer. And the, and it was, I think you're right. Like she perceived it as calling her forward and she was like, no, I can't. Yeah, that's the reluctant. Like I have to stay. Like I I didn't think that she would be that reluctant hero. Like when, when she's called upon, she always answers. Not, but right before that with Harrison Ford, when he, when Han was like, you know, I'm thinking about it and that whole scene. And she was just like, no, like I want, you could see how badly she wanted to, but she was like, no, I'm not like, I have to stay. Right. Because that was just for a job. She wanted to stay to complete the task she had done to save the universe. Well, she wanted to, she wanted to stay for her family to come back, which, right. you know, I don't know. I, 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 it worked for me. I, I thought I bought, I bought her reaction. Yeah, me too. I, I think I, I didn't have a problem with that. I guess if there was one, it's a mini groan moment, kind of the way you described Han and Leia's conversation for me. And, and we already talked about this. It was when they were laying out how to destroy the big planet thing. I was like, Oh, it's exactly the same thing that happened the first time. By the way, are we, are we clear that the way the M the way the first order found the rebel, the resistance base is because they followed Parkman's ship back. I had have no idea. I caught that the second time through. They, they said, Oh, we followed the scout ship back and we, it's in this, the Illyrian yeah, I, system or whatever. And then they, they said the guy's name or, and then when they flashed to the resistance, they were like, so-and-so brought information back about the new Death Star, and it was Parkman. Mm-hmm. I was like, of course, Parkman ruins everything. Like, go figure. Molly Walker to the rescue. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. A little more heroes hate Parkman ruins everything. Okay, um, okay so so are we ready to talk about what this movie is good for? Because I think there's a lot to talk about. Uh, yes. Okay, so, oh, oh, wait. Okay, well, let's just talk about it anyway. Let's um, go ahead. Eli, I want to talk about Han Solo's death, but we can do that in, in here. Okay, so uh, what's it good for? So first of all, um, when you asked like about like Orthodox Jews not watching movies before, I talked about that for a moment. So part of the reason there's an objection to watching movies is because of the values that are assumed to be underlying the themes of every movie. And there's this, um, there's like a, an assumption that Hollywood is trying to subversively undo good values. That might have been true at some point. I don't know if it was or if it wasn't. And it might be true about some films. Uh, but that's kind of like underlying the, it's like an assumption, which is, I think, not really correct. That's one. And number two is there's uh, prohibitions in, um, in Jewish law against seeing nudity and there are prohibitions against uh, witnessing violence. There's a, an aversion towards hearing bad language. All these things make Orthodox Jews very uncomfortable. So that's the reason why Orthodox Jews don't generally watch movies, to which I said um, in a letter to the editor at one of these Jewish magazines that was publishing a note that said that Orthodox women wouldn't watch the movie because of the values of movies and all that. I'm like, first of all, it's not true in general, but in this movie, this movie has the greatest values. Everything is positive. There's no sexuality. There's no bad stuff that you shouldn't want to see. There's no language issues. It's literally, I said, the most kosher blockbuster film in the history of movies. It has nothing offensive. So this is the one movie you should see. So I guess I wanted to just talk about what it was, you know, what the assumptions are, but how this movie kind of undoes all of them. And it is for me, like, if you're asking if you, there's a kosher movie to see, is there a movie that's going to just feel the right, all touch all the right notes and not make me feel uncomfortable as a religious person. This is by far, by far the greatest movie that's like that. I mean, there are other movies that are like it, but this is the best one. 
You know, uh, my particular denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, has similar prohibitions against movies. And in fact, uh, our our church every four years publishes a manual that comes out of our general assembly where everyone gets together and talks about, you know, the, the rules that we have and all that. And there's a section that used to be called the special rules. Now it's called the Guide to Christian Conduct. And up until relatively recently, uh, one of the stipulations was that uh, Nazarenes are not allowed to watch movies. And it was all all of the same kinds of uh, rhetoric that you were describing for Orthodox Jews. Now the guide is like, well, you know, they're probably bad, but if you can find a good one, it, it might be okay. <laughs> Autonomy. <laughs> yeah, that. Know, right? You can make your own choices. Um, and I, I mean, obviously all of us on this podcast like love film and, and, and believe that even, even when there is some objectionable content, things we wouldn't endorse, that doesn't mean that there's not some redemptive value in, in what's being communicated there. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like it, this movie does such a great job of, of being a true family-friendly film where you can all sit down and watch it and you don't have to worry about anything um, that you're going to have to have a, a conversation about later, you know, and it's, and, and, and you don't miss anything. Like you don't miss. Right. It's like, it's like this, it's like, it's like a testimony almost like this is proof. You can tell an awesome story without gratuitous stuff that you don't yeah. need. Yeah. I yeah, love was, that about it. it was and that's great. what it's good for in a very meta sense. We can get to the to the meat of it and like the inside stuff soon. But just as far as like in a very general sense, I think it was beautiful to see that happen. And I would add, um, it's kind of along the lines of what you guys are talking about. But what's it good for? It's just great for igniting or reigniting a love of film because it is so fun and because it is such an event. I mean, I did not have nearly the emotional connection that some of my friends did. But when that first like John Williams note hits and I was just like, I felt like emotion inside me that didn't make sense. I was like, I'm so excited right now. John Williams Um, is brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing the words and I was like, okay, like I can finally own some Star Wars crawl text. Like I'm not watching it now 30 years after everybody else. You know, I'm, this is like a story that I'm getting as soon as everybody else. Nobody's ahead of me. And and that made me have a sense of ownership for the franchise that was cool. Like it's it's like this is my Star Wars now, which I should be obviously right. Like this should be like the eight year old Star Wars, and mine's thirty five years ago. But like no, this is my Star Wars, and uh, it's kind of backwards. But I still had the continuity of Han and how much I love Harrison Ford and Han Solo that that helped. Interestingly, for as often as I find spiritual themes in films, um, wasn't looking, and I'm often not looking for them, but. They usually hit me over the head, and then I feel like compelled to think about them and then maybe talk about them. I did not, um, obviously, the light, the dark, the force. I think that was all so familiar to me that it wasn't, like, new, right? So I, I just didn't feel like these epiphany moments about anything on a deep spiritual level from watching the film the first time. Allow me to open your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Go. I felt well, JR, did you feel any of that stuff that Clay said he didn't feel? Oh yeah, absolutely. I know it's I mean, there. I, I, I have. On it. I have. You know, in in my in my review that I posted at Norval, um, I, I I talked briefly about the the biggest one for me, and I'm happy to unpack this a little bit. But for me, the the biggest thing that really made me excited about this film, which was subtle, and which is I think going to be unpacked in the next two films, but it was the insistent persistent irresistible call of light fascinating i like that so I, I, i'm happy to 
Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear some of your ideas. Yeah, too, let's, but I, let's, I, I, let's go through a few ideas and then we'll, we'll see what we can focus on. All right. So for me, um, one thing that always comes up, we actually talked about this with Inside Out also, there's this idea that religion really is built on nostalgia in a certain way. Um, it's, it's like remembering positive things about the past and wanting to recreate them in a new way or a better way or the same way or whatever. But nostalgia plays a huge role in religious experiences. And this is confirmed by a great book that I mentioned in that review that we did. Um, it's called um, something. You're going to say the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's part of the Bible, right? <laughs> Sorry, what's the a, name of the book again? That would have been a good line. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll go back to the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but the point, it's based on the huge, like linear study of like seven generations, but here's the thing. Okay. So first of all, on a like meta sense, the, the room proves this is true, right? Millions and millions of people went to see this movie this weekend. Greatest opening in the history of movies because of nostalgia. They didn't know what the movie was going to be. They didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. They were buying tickets before the movie was even, you know, it was even finished, right? We didn't know what it was going to be, but we all wanted to see it. And that's one of the powers of nostalgia, which I think is a very worthwhile theme to explore and how much nostalgia can hurt us and help us. It's just a huge theme that I think is worth talking about. But when you get into the film, okay, so here's where I got like really, really into the mythology of the story. Here you have these young characters, Finn and Ray, and they only vaguely know that there's such a thing as a Jedi. They've heard maybe of the word the force, but they kind of think it's like a ridiculous old superstition that nobody really knows about anymore. And that those things were just like mm. stories of the past where they even true. Luke Skywalker is a real person like that shock, that awe, feeling like the stuff that I always thought was mythology that had no reality basis being real and historical was so powerful to these young characters. Mm. And from that perspective, I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of, you know, growing up in the 21st century and trying to kind of connect to religious experiences. What because, is truth, right? Is that, well, yeah, but that's one thing. But I think it's another thing. Like we hear these stories about our, our past, right? I'm sure you guys have the same thing. The heroes of your religions and the heroes of my religions were doing things that we not even like talking about 2000, 3000 years ago. I'm talking about 200 years ago. The stories of miracles that we have been told about just regular religious leaders and even um, average people who had a very strong connection to their, to their faith were able to have miraculous things happen to them. And it was spoken about, to, to me, at least as a child, in a way that made it feel like those people really experienced those. And then I got a little older, I'm like very skeptical, like, did they really happen? How come they all stopped as soon as video cameras were invented, you know? So, yeah. so then coming to the second place of like being like skeptical about all that, which was where kind of Finn and Ray were at the beginning of the movie. Like none of that's really true. But then as the movie goes on, there is a magic. And what is that magic? Is it really magic? Is it just the magic of, uh, of ideas that can be beautifully portrayed and the magic of kind of a, a, a truth level that's maybe different than uh, historical truth? Those things I think were really the heart and soul of discovering the force and discovering that Jedi are real and discovering that all the stuff you've been skeptical about actually has value and has meaning. And in, in a sense, that's really the biggest story of religion in the 21st century. Obviously, fundamentalists will just tell you that it's always been the same truth as always. Um, and it's always been the same exact thing as it's been for 2000 or 3000 or whatever years. But I think guys like us who are trying to reconcile spirituality, religion with modernity, we're willing to say that things have, are not nearly the same that they always thought they were, that the spiritual experiences that others had in the past were stories. And just because they weren't historically fact does not necessarily mean that they are um, not 
what we would call some level of truth. And in that part of the story and in that part of our story, I found the greatest um, what's it good for moment. Mm. You know, I, uh, as I just start to think about this, I love that. I love the ideas of light and truth. And yeah, that's one of my favorite, most important questions of all times. And I imagine that Han's line, it's true, all of it is going to go down as one of those most iconic movie lines ever, right? We're going to be saying that 30 years from now, most likely. Um, I, I keep on saying that's not how the force works because <laughs> it's such a common religious thing to say when people are like, just pray to God and everything will get better. Yeah. You know, like people misuse religion all the time because they don't understand. Yeah, yep. Like, no, that's not how the force works. You know, Star Wars, as I think through this, one thing that doesn't pop out you know, if you talk about like the, the all time classical, powerful ways that civilizations um, codified truth, light is a good one. Um, there's really not. What is the role of the idea of glory in The Force Awakens? Like, wh- is glory even a thing? I think it's not. And what does that mean? Well, so there's a big difference between Jewish and Christian kind of mythology. I think that there's a core difference between what we kind of expect out of our heroes. And there's, I think, elements of both, but George Lucas is Jewish and he's very heavily influenced by Jewish themes. And there's more of a Jewish feel to the heroism of the characters in all the Star Wars movies, which is, you know, um, a coming of age in a certain sense, but also um, doing it because it's necessary to save people you love or necessary to save people that are innocent as opposed to doing it for the reasons of like spiritual calling. That's not enough. You have to have like the force requires, if you notice like the the mechanism of the force, the force requires you to think about something in a way that makes you feel compelled to do it. And it comes from a place, how do you channel it? So for in the past, it's been like, you think about someone you love or you think about someone you miss. It comes from a place of personal connection to people and other people. And that helps you use the force as opposed to like a more, I guess, uh, in some ways, idealistic version of heroism, which is like for altruism. There's not really altruism in, in the Star Wars universe. And that's where I think the glory comes in. It's not about altruism. It's about coming to a place of like doing what's right, but figuring out the great greatest motivations to doing what's right. And I think that also comes back to like this beautiful moment where Ray's using the force and you could see the contrast where Kylo Ren is using the force and it's painful. And she's using the force and it's just, smiles and peace and calm because she's channeling love for uh, for people and i guess for a family that's long gone whatever it is that she's thinking about so that kind of difference between the mythology of judaism and christianity i think kind of finds a role in this glory thing you're 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 looking for you know um something that i i want to see how this new trilogy unpacks but something that deeply troubled me when i rewatched the original trilogy and prep or not sorry the prequels um is that when, and I, uh, I know neither of you has seen episode three. So when they're trying to turn Anakin to the dark side, the the, the fulcrum that they're using is his love for Padme, um, Luke and Leia's mom. And the Jedi keep saying, well, you know, if she dies, she dies. And that's the force. <laughs> and the Sith are like, yeah, man, if you don't want her to die, you should probably use the force. And... I remember getting to the end of episode three and going, man, I would be a Sith. 
Like mm. the Sith are the ones who are saying it's okay to care about someone and it's okay to fight for them and it's okay to uh, not want them to die. The Jedi have this like Buddhist Zen detachment where they're like, well, you know, what will be will be and you just kind of have to accept it, which is totally invalidated by everything they've done in that original in that prequel trilogy up to that point because they keep saying we have to stop Palpatine. We have to intervene. We have to do things. He can't get away with this. And then when it comes to what Anakin cares about, they keep saying, well, yeah, sorry, you can't do anything about it. Right. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. And I think that, you know, the George Lucas uh, familiarity um, it, there was kind of, it, like that whole thing was like just confusing and it sets right. up what's going on later. So I think that his, the truest version of his storytelling is certainly four, five, and six, and right. much more consistent with the way we, we spoke about it earlier. Right. So yeah, I guess it is. There is con- there is definitely contradiction. Um, and by the way, one interesting thing about that whole, um, uh, you know, like the, the caring about people that you love. I you you compared it to, well, I forgot what you compared it to, but I, I was thinking at the same moment, the Knights Templar and the Assassins, right? So the Knights Templar are like the Jedi almost because they're like, what is right is right, and we don't yep. bend the rules, and we yep. do exactly what we're told, and we're very uh, automaton kind of people and the jedi are like that and then the, the assassins are like bending the rules and thinking about what's what's appropriate at the moment subversive and maybe that's what kind of was the good side of the dark side at one point yeah i um i want to amend an earlier answer i gave <laughs> I, said, I said that I, I said that if pressed off the top of my head my least favorite part of the movie was han solo dying just because it hurt but as we think through what's this movie good for and what is my favorite part of the movie? I suspect that as I heal over time and see the character arc to come of our villain, who we'll see how it is when he faces down Mama in future movies, that the moment of Han, who basically willingly gave his life as he stood there facing the inevitability, right? As soon as he walks out onto the catwalk, skywalk thing, like you know what's happening. Skywalks are always bad in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, 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 especially <laughs> for father-son situations. Um, he puts his hand on his son's face as he falls. And I think that will come to be the most beautiful moment. So what's it good for? I mean, it, it, it's, it appears as though it'll move forward as a beautiful picture of unconditional sacrificial love and what that means and the power of it. Well, yeah, and that's that's what where the 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 theme that resonated for me was this insistent, persistent, um, irresistible call of light. And you see, you know, you see Kylo Ren struggling with it in the scene you talked about earlier, Eli, right, where he's praying to his grandfather for help. Not and and it seems as though he must not know or is actively denying the truth of what happened to Vader. You know that Vader actually comes back into the light by the end of, of six. How would anybody know? Well, okay, he so if Kylo was trained by Luke, Luke, he wouldn't tell him. Why not? Because, or if he would tell him, maybe he thinks that it's, it's a lie. You That's know? what I'm I saying. Mean, like, he may be actively disbelieving it, right? Yeah. Um, e- either way, uh, and, and and you have this idea that, you know, Leia says there's still good in him, I sense it, which is the same thing that Luke says about Vader. Um, and then you have, at the end... The, his father approaching him, refusing to fight him, only offering him love. And uh, again, you know, particularly in, in Christian theology, like that's, that's how at least the, 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 the Christian theological perspectives that I cling to present Jesus's sacrifice on the cross is it's not, it's not Jesus saving us from dad who's pissed at everyone. Um, it's, it's actually God 
you know, the uh, God in the person of Jesus saving humanity from ourselves. Right. And so, um, again, that God's God's love is so insistent that God will go even to the lengths of giving God's own life to rescue us from our our choice to to the dark side. Right. Which is, yeah, closer to the Star Wars thing than the kind of more Catholic version of the Puritan. Right. Right. Um, and so I just I love I loved that idea because you've never seen that in, in the original films. The light side was always pretty passive. You know, it was there and, and they could, they could use it. But but the dark side was was always calling to people, mm. you know, and so I love that. I love that we see that the light is at least as insistent as the dark. And it, it really makes us wonder, I think for me anyway, it makes me go back to episode six when Luke is talking to Vader and imagine what Vader is experiencing inside himself that he's not voicing. You know, if, if that actually even casts some light on why his turn caught you so off guard, Clay, right? Is that maybe in fact he has been, the light has been calling to him. Yeah, but you know and, what? Even 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 more ridiculous is like if the if the emperor had not said to Luke, yes, give in to your hate and come to the dark side, he might have done it. Right, right. And yeah. I love I love that idea that evil defeats itself. To to paraphrase Spaceballs, that is why good will always win, because good is dumb. dumb. <laughs> like no, evil's what is dumb. Like evil only has one one trick. Like it's a one trick pony. And it's that sort of like insistent, forceful, you know. Um and, and so if 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 you can see through that the way Luke did, um, it doesn't really have anything and, and that's where I love where where uh, Han is just saying, you know, the truth, like you, the truth is inside of you. You can admit it to yourself, like admit the truth and come back to the light. Like that's such a beautiful conversion. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're out of time. We've got to wrap up. Um, what do you, uh, real briefly, real quick, what do you guys want to see out of eight and nine? More JJ Abrams, but we're not going to get it. <laughs> no, we get Ryan Johnson though, who I love. I think is an, a tremendous director. Looper was an incredible film. Can I, can I just say how how impressed I was with J.J. Abrams' lack of use of lens flares? <laughs> lens flares. <laughs> I'm like, there's not a single lens flare in this movie. Okay. Have you heard Have you heard the fan theory that Finn actually will turn out to be a lens flare? <laughs> I've not heard. Like that's his origin story. Um, aren't we all though? So I want to. Uh, what do I want to see? I want to see just more of the same. I want to see. Uh, you know patronage to the greatness of the past. I want to see moving the story ahead forward. I want to see uh, modern ideas that we haven't seen yet in Star Wars uh, be be portrayed like we did with with the female hero and the non-white male hero. I want to see more of that. I, I don't have any particular need to see anything other than good storytelling of Star Wars. I want to see more Poe. Uh, I definitely want to continue to see a, a superhero well, hero um, that is relatable for not just young kids, but for young girls, especially. I think in Ray, I think Ray's, Ray's pretty awesome. <laughs> He's real cute. <laughs> Transitioning fast. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely will enjoy seeing basically a female Luke Skywalker become the face of a generation, um, which is which is really cool. And um, yeah, more of the same. I, I I was really nervous when JJ bowed out after the second Star Trek film, and from what the first look is and the fact that there's still a lot of the same creators involved i trust that it's going to be good so i, I feel the same way for this that it's going to continue to be good yeah like, i want to feel like uh, ray is like a katniss everdeen but like in a star wars universe oh for sure yeah another I strong mean, female character i mean I, I think that's she's an amazing hero for our generation as well go ahead jay uh i want to see the redemption of kylo ren i mean i think i think that's where this franchise is going <laughs> which such yeah. a christian 
<laughs> I just it I it would say some it would say some really dark things about the Star Wars universe if he doesn't come back. What did I say to you after the movie? You you said Clay first thing he says. I'm like, what'd you think, man? He goes, if the next two movies are all about Kylo Ren's redemption, I'm done. <laughs> I was so mad. I hate him so bad. I was feeling the raw emotion. But what he's, you know what? he's such a great character, and you, I want to see him redeemed. But I actually think that that's probably correct, JR. That's probably what, where they're going to go is one, at least one of the subplots. And I think that um, I trust them to do an awesome job with it. Right? And you'll so probably argue that's the main plot, right? I, I would be pretty surprised if that were not like the main because because really one through six are the fall and, and redemption of Anakin. So I'd be surprised if 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 seven, eight, nine are not the redemption of Kylo Ren, though again, I think eight will tell us a lot about where they want to take Ray's character. Maybe it'll be the redemption of ducks. Ducks? That's the other guy besides for Kylo Ren. Oh, the 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 uh, general, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nothing bad's gonna happen to that guy. And we'll find <laughs> out. We'll, we'll find out whose famous parents are. Um, yeah, Ray. Ray's, yeah. And what and what the heck a Snoke is? Right. Okay. So Eli, uh, where can people connect with you online? Shul on the internet dot com. S H U L O N T H E R. If T H E I internet. If you have not experienced uh, the Shul on the Internet, uh, Eli's work that he's doing, it's some really groundbreaking, exciting, and really fun stuff. If you enjoyed our conversation last half of this episode about spiritual themes in Star Wars, you'll love what he does there. So please go check it out. We'll put all of the links we've mentioned in the show notes at storymen.us and at facebook.com slash thestorymen. Uh, this has been episode 114. Please let us know what you thought of The Force Awakens, your favorite moments, your least favorite moments, what you want to see happen in the in the sequels, and what some of your predictions are. And if people want to see my live reaction to rewatching episode four, The New Hope, it's up at Norval Rogers. Um, he, did, he did his best not to troll the internet. I, you can I, go and let him know why he's I wrong. did record my um, reactions as the movie rolled along. So uh, thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. Thanks, Eli, for being with us. And we'll be back next week with another episode, uh, last one before our break. In the meantime, uh, stay tuned. This is a song about the three stories. Life is a story we're all living in So now that you know the story you're in Just sit back and listen to the three stories Sometimes there's a man Rather, sometimes there's some men, and I'm talking about the story men here. And I know what you're thinking. Those are some tall fellers. I don't know if that's three stories separately or three combined, but we're missing the point. Sometimes there's some men. And you want to know what these hombres are about? Well, I won't say they're heroes. They're just the men who are right for their time and place. These men, uh, lost my place. Well, I've probably introduced them enough, so just relax for a spell and bend your ear their way.